When I was a child, I slept by myself. Truth be told, I was afraid of the dark. I kept my closet door closed because, like most children, if I couldn't see it, it wasn't there. What was in my bedroom, though, was a different matter. No door stood as a barrier to me in my room. As such, I slept with my bedroom door open and the hall light on. Hollywood plays on that innate sense of dread of the dark in all of us. That's when most of the intrigue in the movie takes place. When did the orcs charge Helm's Deep in the deep dark of night? When did the forces come across from Mordor after the darkness spread across Minas Tirith? Darkness in literature is a common metaphor for evil. I can't see it. I don't know where it is. Evil lurks and I am vulnerable. But one of the metaphors that God provides us to help understand the glories of Christ in light of our issues with the dark, and no pun intended, is one we can all understand. Our Savior is the light of the world. Today we are going to ping pong all through God's word, and we're going to look at the darkness that is in the world today. We are going to savor together the light of our Lord and Savior, and finally we're going to dwell upon our duties in this dark and fallen world. As we go before the Lord, let us beg and plead with him that he would guard our hearts and minds and guard my lips. Let's bow together. Father, what a treasure, what a grace that we have your word before us. What a treasure, what a grace that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that we might have eyes to see, that we might have ears to hear your voice in your word. Oh God, we beg even now that the glories of your word would be seen by us, that we would feed upon you this good word of truth, that the light would shine in our hearts that we might see the way that we should go, that the light would shine in our hearts that we might see the glories of you, our God, our Savior. Guard us now, we beg, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider first, essentially, the status of the darkness of the world, the darkness of the current situation. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 and 16, Matthew gives us a prophecy of Jesus Christ from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 12. It reads, Now when Jesus heard that John, the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. The situation as Christ came was darkness. That is how the prophet describes it. Paul tells the Ephesian believers that you at one time were in darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, 
that Sarah read to us this morning. Jesus tells his hearers in John chapter 12 that one of the key purposes of his coming was so that those who would believe in him would not remain in darkness. John 12, 46. So what does that mean? It means that man, apart from Christ, is in darkness. Now, what does that mean? The man on the street, if we were to pull up some of these folks who thankfully cleaned up the streets today, that was a really nice thing to see. If we were to ask him, you know, what's it mean that you're in darkness? He's going to go, it's the middle of the day. I see just fine. He wouldn't get it. So in examining the status of darkness, let's begin with the dark Lord himself, Satan. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They are in darkness. He says that the gospel is veiled from those who are perishing. You can have so dark a veil over your face that you cannot see. What is this veil doing? It is keeping them, Paul says to the Corinthians, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan has a hand in the darkness of this world. His intention is that none would see the light of Christ, that the lost would remain blinded, that the lost would remain in darkness. And... Believer, we have to admit that sometimes we as saints redeemed are sometimes caught in darkness. Sometimes we don't see the light of Christ. We just see darkness. God does not intend his creatures to be in darkness. So it is a persistent and perennial fight for us to see the light and the glories of Christ. Paul, when he was on trial before King Agrippa, stated in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, that his ministry, Paul's ministry, was to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and to turn from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Satan, as the prince of the power of the air, hates this. The world lies in the power and influence of the evil one. Even now, John wrote in 1 John 5, 19. So we can expect Satan to twist the things of this world. Government, universities, entertainment. To keep people blinded. To keep the saints distracted. And themselves blinded. But not only does Satan's gnarled hand have a hand in the darkness of this world, I need to look no further than the mirror to see a darkness in my own life, in my own flesh. Paul tells the Roman church and exhorts them, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us, saints, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The implication is that we get caught up in darkness. He goes on, let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh. He tells the Ephesian church in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and actually highlights the link between Satan and their flesh. He tells them, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in, one, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You followed after him. You once followed after him. But then he goes on to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. It didn't take Satan a whole lot to prod you to go your own way. Like, ah, happily. And off we go. Carrying out the desires of your body and your mind. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So in my flesh, apart from Christ, I cannot please God. Paul tells the Romans, to set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Death, condemnation, cannot please God. This is the status, this is the situation of man apart from Jesus Christ. There is no hope in this life apart from Jesus Christ. We see that played out in the lives of Kurt Cobain. We see that played out in the life of Robin Williams, Marilyn Monroe, Heath Ledger, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Michael Jackson. The rich and famous is a long wake of people who have attained it all and found it empty. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Many die in this life apart from Christ and hope for relief in the unknown beyond. But they don't understand that in the next life they will suffer a deeper darkness and agony into eternity. And if we were left there, this that would be a drag. Man, let's go home. But God doesn't leave us there. God takes us to our second point, and that is Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Christ directly declared himself to be the light of the world twice. Let's look. I invite you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12 is sandwiched, obviously, between 8, 1 through 11, and that which follows it. Chapter 8 of John's gospel, verses 1 through 11, is the story of the woman caught in adultery. The mob went to drag her out, ready to stone her. Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they went, oh. They all dropped their rocks, walked away. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. In the verses that follow... Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and in it he has perhaps their mo the most heated confrontation with them where he accuses them of being of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, in chapter 8 and verse 44. Sandwiched in between these two situations 
And I think flowing in one continuity is chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke to them and saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He declares himself to be the light of the world. To the woman caught in adultery, light broke in upon her. It illuminated her sin and pointed to the way that she should go. And we have every indication from scripture to think that that is what she did. To the Pharisees, men whose eyes were so unaccustomed to the light, the glory of Christ's light blinded them all the more, and they remained condemned in their sin and hated him all the more. At the start of our worship service, I read what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus said here in chapter 8, verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Who's he calling out to? Whoever. Whoever. To all who are within earshot. And here today, across the centuries, to everyone. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Does he omit anybody? Does he omit any people group? Young, old, slave, free, black, white, blue, green, engineers, street sweepers. The call goes out to all. To all. Who will follow him? Who will follow the good shepherd? When we look at the I am's of the good shepherd, we'll get into that in greater detail in the first two weeks in June. What is the character of this light? It is the light of life. Consider a lighthouse that stands on a rock. You see that light. You heed its presence or you ignore it to your demise. That is your choice. Those who heed it will not walk in darkness. He is the light. John describes Jesus as the life in chapter 1, verse 4. And he says that in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light of this world is life. You want to live life to the fullest? You want to live life to the deepest? You want to draw the marrow out of it? Only in Christ can you find that fullness. You will find it in nothing else. Everything else, while tasting good going down, is going to leave you empty and always wanting more. Saint, if we have the light, we know the way that we should go. We follow after him. We follow after his way. We hear his word. And that takes us to Jesus' second declaration about himself in the very next chapter, John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is an amazing chapter, the story of the man born blind. The disciples are arguing about who sinned, you know, that this guy's born blind. 
And Jesus says something very interesting in verse 4 after he declares that it wasn't, wasn't the parents, wasn't the guy, but that God might be glorified. Jesus says in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Why was this man born blind that the works of God might be displayed? When night comes, nobody works. Nobody works at night. You go, what? Everybody works at night. Lots of people work at night. Not then they didn't. I mean, we got lights that we can turn on. Then when the lights went out, the sun went down, you couldn't do much. But in your tent or in your abode where there were lamps, so... There was no work done when it was night. They understood this metaphor. So we must work, Jesus says, while it is day. Work doing what? He says, the works of him who sent me. We must work, verse 4, the works of him who sent me. What are those works? We follow Jesus' example. In chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God the Son was absolutely, utterly submitted to God the Father. He did what the Father desired. He, did where the fa- he went where the Father pointed him. What do we do? We ought to go where God is pointing us. God the Son utterly submitted to God the Father, and so we ought to be utterly submitted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Submission is not a bad thing. Submission is glorious. We need only look to Jesus. As we exhort wives in this world, submission is not of the devil. Submission is not oppressive. Workers submitting to their boss, it is not a bad thing. They are not evil. The saints ought to be submitted to one another, ought to be submitted in authorities in the church. Citizens ought to be submitted to mayors and police officers. Jesus goes on to say here in verse 5 of chapter 9, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now you go, okay, as long as I'm in the world. Well, he's gone. Now he's taken up into heaven. Does that mean we are in darkness? No more work to be done. We should all idle. And we go, no, that's absurd. That's the whole book of Acts shows the works of the Holy Spirit that God the Son is doing through the Holy Spirit in his work on the earth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when is that time of darkness? It would seem that the only reasonable response would be during the time of his death between the crucifixion and his resurrection. And the disciples did nothing at that time. But in light, in the light of Christ, there is work to be done. So let's consider a moment the the blind man. Okay. The story goes, he couldn't see. This guy comes up to him, spits in the dirt, makes mud, rubs it in his eyes, and tells him to wash, and he can see. He didn't ask for it, didn't look for it, didn't know the guy, Jesus Christ. 
No effort of his own. Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 knew about Jesus, heard Jesus was coming by and was screaming and whooping up, oh, David, son of David, come and heal me. But this guy didn't know Jesus Christ at all. And Jesus healed him. Later in the chapter, Jesus says to the blind man, in the hearing of the Pharisees, he says, for judgment, I came into this world, as he is introducing himself to the blind man, that those who do not see may see like yourself, and those who see may become blind. Again, consider the glory of the light of Christ. He is either going to make you see things absolutely clear, or he is going to blind you to the point where you cannot even comprehend reality. When you see the light, you will hate the light even more than you did at first. Is it, is it so bad that we might even lose distinctions between what is a man and what is a woman? And unless we jump on that very common issue today, 2,500 years ago, Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The whole sexual autonomy thing is an easy and obvious bogeyman, but you consider the battle against abortion in our country has been going on for 50 years. Oh, it's, it's reproductive health. That's what it is. Oh, it is a woman's right. Oh, no, God says it's killing a child. And so in the light, those who are followers of Christ, those who hear his voice can see more clearly and the world is further blinded. But Saint, this is, this is our situation. Each one of us at some point in our life could not see. Some of us can remember it. Some of us can't. And he healed us. Why? By his grace. Not one of us deserves it. But now we see. I can't lord that over anybody. It is by his grace. Through no effort of my own. So I don't gloat in the fact that I can see. I want to help other people to see. So what will we do now that we see? One of the greatest exhortations is what Sarah read in Ephesians chapter 5. So I invite you to turn there as we look at how we ought to walk in the light as the light of the world has shown in our hearts. I mentioned chapter 5 verse 8 earlier. At one time you were in darkness, Paul tells them. But he goes on to say in verse 8, But now you are light in the Lord. You are light. Okay, this is not some kind of therapeutic, you be true to you, you know, kind of an Oprah thing. Oh, you're a light. Yeah. No, you are light in Christ. In Christ alone. The world's exhortation to you is darkness that you can be a light to yourself, that you must follow after you, that you become your own God. You are only light 
in the Lord. The moon is a great example of that. The moon has no light in and of itself. It lights the night, but it lights the night with a light not its own. The sun is way brighter. And if the moon was a better reflective surface, our nights would be way brighter. Saint, I want to, I hope you want to reflect the light of Christ to the world around us. That is God's intention for us. That is one of the reasons why we are still here to bring others in and to bring him glory in the manner that we live our lives. Jesus made this analogy to the saints in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you are the light of the world. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ in you. You are a city set on a hill. You are a beacon for all to see, not you, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, each one of us is different. Every one of us is going to reflect Christ's light differently. You've got devastations in your life that I don't know about. I've got heartache and suffering that you might not know about. And in all of these things, all of these bumps and flawed diamonds that we are, we reflect Christ's light differently. We are a glory to him in how we reflect that light I know there, there is much about my past that caused me, causes me great heartache. And I suspect that is true for some of you. But we are not there anymore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So our command is to walk as children of light. He says, continuing in verse eight, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I've never heard of that before. I've read it a thousand times, but the fruit of light, the fruit of light, the fruit of Christ, the fruit of Christ's relationship with things, the, the relationship of God with people is going to bear a fruit that is good and right and true. It made me think of Philippians, the things we are supposed to think, think on. In chapter 4 and verse 8, that which is good and noble and right and true and just and, and that whole list in there is because of Jesus Christ. And then he gives four exhortations. And I want to kind of breeze through. You could do a sermon on each one. What does it mean to walk in the light? One of the first things he exhorts them to be is discerning. To walk in the light is to be discerning. Look at verse 10 with me. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says, take no part in unfruitful work of darkness, but expose them. How do I discern what is pleasing to the Lord? How do I know what God wants? How do I know what God likes? I can't know it apart from his word. I have got to be a person of the word. Thy word is a light unto my path and a light unto my eyes. I have got to be a person of the word or I cannot discern. It's like my flashlight. I can't see anything. I need his word and I need you. I need his church. 
the Holy Spirit-filled church to guide and guard and direct me. I cannot be apathetic about these things because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He's going to try and look as much like God as he can, and he is going to continue to blind people to the truth. So, First, I need to discern what is pleasing to God. Then, as I read in verse 11, I need to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what light does. You see the roaches scurrying across the floor. You can see the filth in the corner because of the light. Much stands opposed to God. He says, take no part in the darkness. Well, you are in the world. He's not calling you to go be in a monastery but he is calling you to be discerning. And when you see this, call it what it is. Don't wallow in it. Don't lie in it. I mean, consider politics. What are the issues that are out there? What is good? What is right? What is pure? What is just? What is holy? What about the candidates? What about my city? What about the state? What about the nation? Can I support him? Can I not support him? What about your entertainment? What movies do you watch? What movies do I watch? What television shows do I watch? What music do I listen to? I've shared this a number of times with a number of people. I'm sorry, but it's like a, like I mentioned before, a bee in a, my bonnet. Um, there are few things in entertainment that I've missed and regret missing it. Like, oh, I wish I'd have really seen that. You know, it's like, I, I don't feel empty in any way. But there are a lot of things that I've seen on television or in the movies or on the radio where I go, I really wish I hadn't. God calls us to be discerning, especially parents. Parents, you will be mocked. You will be ridiculed, perhaps even by those who are most dear to you for what you don't let your children watch or listen to or what you make them watch or listen to. That's okay. You have one person to please, and that's our God and Father. Who is my light? Politics, entertainment, your friends and your associates. Choose your friends well. Paul does call us to live at peace with one another, but he tells the Corinthians also that bad company corrupts good character. Choose your friends well. In the light of the word of Christ, the fruit of darkness becomes visible for what it is. I must live in discernment through the word. And that is going to require time. And that is going to require consideration on your part. To try and live apart from the word of Christ is like trying to drive Texas roads in the dark without your headlights. You're a dope. I need the lights on to see when I am driving in the dark. So as he tells us to walk worthy, walk in the light, we are to discern what is pleasing. We are to expose the deeds of darkness. And in verse 15, we see we are to walk with care. Again, there's that idea of discernment. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Again, this requires consideration. I, I don't just react to everything around me. Think about how you are going to behave in particular situations. 
What lines are you going to set for yourself? Speak to parents. Speak to brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to make the best use of our time. How much time do you have? You don't know. How much time do I spend on my phone? How much time do I spend on the tube? How much time do I spend at work? How much time do I give to God? Well, the really spiritual Christians should say, well, all of it's God's. You know, great. I'm also supposed to pray without ceasing. And I say, well, I always pray without ceasing, which means I probably never pray. Which means if I say, well, it's all God's, I probably don't live like any of it's God's. God has given us great graces to practice, to stay in relationship with him. We have the opportunity to pray to the living God, to set time aside to commune and talk to God. I have the opportunity to hear his voice every day. Throughout the day, I can. I can be exhorted and encouraged through the Holy Spirit in each one of your lives touching me in the church. God has given us great opportunities for service. Oh, that we have the opportunity to come today and worship and be with the saints. He exhorts them in verse 17, don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, I can't get around the word of God. The fourth thing he says is be filled with the spirit. Do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. He says that and then he goes on to show how that looks. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is being filled with the Spirit. That is being part of the church. You have the Holy Spirit, and so do you. I have it, you have it. And so we come together as the church and rejoice. We are filled when we come together and we sing and we pray and we exhort and we encourage one another. The last thing I want to mention is that's light here and now. There is a light coming that will never be turned off. In the time future, there will be a day when darkness is no more, no moon, no sun. In Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, God tells us that no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. The Lord God will be their light. Perfect fellowship with our Heavenly Father.
the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. The world today is way darker than my bedroom was. But we are exhorted, whoever follows Christ will not walk in darkness. He is the light of this world, and through his redemptive work, Paul tells the Philippians that we now shine like lights in the world. Let us all purpose in our hearts to have nothing to do with the unfruitful and shameful works of darkness, but let us follow hard after the light of the world that his light in us might bear fruit. Fruit in this world, fruit in this life, fruit of the spirit in our own lives, fruit in our service to one another, and fruit maybe even in new gospel growth as we shine the light in a lost and dying world. Perhaps some will taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, what grace, oh God, what kindness to us that you have opened our eyes that we might see. God, we, we cling to Christ and know that we can have no victory over the darkness in this world apart from our relationship with Christ. I beg that you would help us even now to that end. We pray, God, that as we go from this place, that the light of the glories of Christ would be evident in us and our fellowship one on, with one another. And as we go into a lost and dying world, oh God, that we would have opportunities to not compromise, but to expose the darkness in truth and in love and declare the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.